Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Hey, hey. I don't know many reverends that ride up on a bike uh, to preach a message, but I am one, I guess. I'm a reverend. I don't know. Hey, where's my students at? (laughs) Welcome. Thank you guys so much for being here with me today, watching online, here in person. You might be wondering, why does he have a bike out on stage? Well, I think any kids pastor, student pastor should probably have a a prop or something like that, right? Um, No, hey, we're in this series called Worth Repeating, which is basically talking through several of these statements that are regular statements in the church, um, things that Jesus Jesus said, and, and they're worth repeating. Um, and as we were pre- prepping for this one, I just like was, I was brought back to when I learned how to ride a bike. And like, I love riding bikes, um, whether it's a BMX and you could do some tricks or mountain biking. Um, although I'm not as good as a mountain biker as Sean. Um, he like, can definitely outride anybody I know. Um, but like, there is something about riding a bike that is just so much fun. And I remember learning how to ride my, my bike. Like there was that, you know, that day when the training wheels come off, right? Like you, you, the dad had, like we, my dad had the training wheels on, and then he's like, "All right, son, like it's it's time." Like I'm like, "No, like I I, I don't I okay, yes." I mean, like it was this mixture of like excitement and like, okay, yeah, like I'm I'm ready to go. Like okay, dad, like okay, and then also like. Uh, maybe another day, like I'm going to put it off another day. I don't know. Like, but eventually he did. He took off the training wheels and we went to Columbia Middle School in Sunnyvale um, where there was this huge open field. Like there was just like so much open space and the track there was just this really, really wide track. So it was like, we thought like the perfect place to learn how to ride a bike, like can't run into anything. So we thought. Um, so my dad puts me on the bike, and he's like, all right, Nate, like, okay, we're, we're, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to hold the back, and I'm going to run alongside of you, but then I'm going to let go, and then you're just going to, like, pe- pedal on. And I'm like, okay, here we go. So I do. And then, like, you know, like, I start riding, and I feel the moment. I feel it. Like, he lets go. And, like, the bike, like, you know, like, wobbles just a little bit. And, like, I'm like, okay, I think, I think I've got it. Like, I go a little bit. And eventually, there's that wobble you know, that little extra sway, like we're like, we're like, oh no, that's not, that's not the way it's supposed to go. And then like, psh, this was not an open field and an open track. There was trash cans everywhere. Like the ones that are at the park right down the street that are cement, <laughs> like those cement ones with all the pebbles crammed into it. So like when you run into it, it's not just a smooth concrete face. Like you get like the, the pebbles, like that was what I ran into my first time with my dad taking the training wheels off and I cried and like there was tears and blood and the, the, you know, it's not a pretty sight at all. Like, but eventually after like, I don't know how long, a half hour, hour, like, I don't know. <laughs> um, my dad picks me up, he, he, you know, he brushes me off. He's like, no, 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 like he doesn't give up on me. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, it's okay. Like you did really, really good just up until that point. Like we're going to keep on going. And like, so he, he pushed me a little further and got me back up on the bike and we tried it again. And then eventually I learned how to ride a bike and enjoyed it and loved it. And it was something that I used to do with my brother, like all the time we'd go down to the candy shop downtown and do all sorts of really fun stuff out on the bike. Eventually I got a really cool BMX bike that like the, the handlebars could like spin and like you could like grind just to look cool. I could never actually do any of that stuff. Like, but it looked really cool to have that bike. Like it was awesome. Um, but like learning how to ride a bike, like there was this moment though, of feel like of doubt, of uncertainty. Um, 
but like you're being pushed into it by like your a parent or an uncle or or somebody that that knows like they've been on it, they've done it, they know the joy that there is to riding a bike, but like they know that you have to go have a little bit of courage to push through and train and learn, and eventually like you'll get that balance. And I think that component, that aspect of doubt, of uncertainty, it's not just about kids, and it's not just about bikes, right? Like that moment where like you're pressed into situations that you just don't feel prepared for. Even if you've trained for it, even if you've, you've studied it, you know what you need to do, you know how you're supposed to ride, like you've practiced on it, like, but then there's that moment where you take the training wheels off. And I think many of us, like we have those moments where then we're forced into situations and we just like, <laughs> like the doubt creeps in or, or whatever it might be. And we're just uncertain. Um, and like, but there is something that I think we have to do regularly, you know, driving um, or going into new jobs or into new, like moving from town to town. Like we, we know maybe there's something good on the other side of it, but then we're still faced with all this doubt and uncertainty of like, was that the right decision? I'm not sure. And like, sometimes we might pe- like fall back and not actually move forward with it. Other times we do. Um, and oftentimes if it's something that like riding a bike, um, you know, our, a mentor, our coach, or a teacher is, is kind of guiding us through, and they know, they know the good that's on the other side of it, but we have this sense of just like, I am not sure. Like, I've been placed on this in this situation, and I don't feel ready for it. And it's something that happens all the time, and it, it's experience that's common to humans, all of humans. And it's also something that, well, Jesus does constantly in in his all the stories of all the people that saw Jesus and lived with Jesus like Jesus was regularly doing this to his disciples to those that were following and living life with Jesus he would regularly put them in situations where they just were ill-equipped they just weren't weren't prepared for like when he like we there was this gigantic huge hungry crowd of over 5000 people and Jesus is like all right guys go feed them they're like with what like, we have a couple loaves of bread. We have some fish. Like, what are we supposed to do here, Jesus? Like, and he's like, okay, wait, I, I got it. I got it. Okay, let's pray. And, he, like, and then he guides them through it, and they, they end up doing it. It's actually recorded, recorded a couple different times that Jesus does this. It, Jesus also would, would send them out. Like, he would train them up on, on doing different things and, and how to, to teach or, or how to even heal, like doing miracles. Like, you would see Jesus do this miracle, and you're like, oh my goodness, that was awesome. Like you just healed a blind guy, blind guy. You just like cast out this demon. But then Jesus would turn to his disciples. One time he took the 12 and he's like, all right, now you guys go. I want you guys to go do that all around, but don't take anything with you. Don't take extra sandals. Don't take extra stuff. Like just go and you're going to do what I did. And they're like, I'm sure they were like, no, wait, hold on. What, Jesus? Like, can't we take some extra food along? What happens when we run out of the food? Like, what are we supposed to do? And, and Jesus is like, go. And it's like, he doesn't even give them all the little steps and instructions of like how to do it. He just like sends them. He did it again with 72, where he took like a a broader group of disciples, those that were following. He's like, all right, go cast out demons, heal people. Like, what? Like, no, no, like, we're not you, Jesus. Like, we're just like lowly people. Like, I just, I used to fish, like go on like in storms, but then he would also take something that they were experienced in and they they knew what to do, like going out onto the, the lake. And he would take these fishermen and then like he would force them to go out into a storm that they were like well inexperienced for and not equipped for. And like, but like in the middle of the lake, like these fishermen are crying and they don't know what to do. Like there's this huge storm going around and they're like, Jesus, like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And like regularly, Jesus does this. 
he puts people, those that are following him, in these situations where they just flail. They don't know what to do, and they feel unequipped or not qualified to do the task that was given to them. It was as if Jesus had this oversized like idea of what the disciples could do. Like he saw them and he's like, hey, I think you can do this. And they felt like, I don't know about that. Like, I'm not so confident in myself as you are, Jesus. I'm not sure. Just like I think often when like you're teaching somebody to ride a bike. Like I'm in the process of teaching Levi and like he's stepped from a couple different like scooters, like one type of scooter and another scooter and like one with a a bike with training wheels. And like, this is the newest bike that I just got him and fix it up a little bit and got it for free. Um, And like fix it up, the brakes still need to like, they're not exactly holding or, but like, and like there's, he's still very nervous about like getting on that all by himself. Um, Cause he just hasn't fully learned how to like get the balance just right. But I know that he can get through it. Like I know that it's possible in him, but yet he still feels like not confident and unsure because he's still wobbling. He's still doubting. And Jesus does this with us in our lives Often, and there's a passage where he does this at the end of his life. He gathers his disciples, the closest to him. There's 11 now. Judas has been left alone, and he gathers these 11, and he shares this, these really these final moments. This is after the resurrection. There's a handful of different interactions that we see recorded that different people had with Jesus, and eating fish by the lake for breakfast, and hanging out and walking on a road. And eventually, he tells his disciples, after he's like shown himself to them, he's like, all right, I want you to go up on this mountain. Like, we're going to meet and talk there, and then I'm going to be leaving. And so in Matthew, if you want to follow along with with me, I'm going to be in Matthew 28. In Matthew, Jesus has this interaction with the disciples, these 11. And I think it's interesting, like, the different sequence of stuff that happens in this little passage. It says in Matthew 28, verse 16, Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him... They worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Do you find that interesting? Do you guys realize what's happening here? Like, this is the 11, like, this is the the group, his crew, his people. They've been with him for years, like three years. They've lived with Jesus, ate with Jesus, slept with Jesus. Jesus has taught them. Jesus has done all these amazing miracles. They saw Lazarus come back from the dead. They Like Jesus turned water into wine, like so many different things. And Jesus constantly, every time they doubted, every time they were unsure, Jesus was there to encourage them and to be present with them and to help them. And then Jesus, their master, their friends, died. Jesus went through this horrific thing and they saw it firsthand. They saw their friend, their Lord, go through something that only few people have ever done, and it is the most horrific way to die possible. And Jesus, though, doesn't stay dead. Like, he spat on and cursed and pierced, and then he dies, but then three days later, he rises up again, and he conquers death, and they're like, I'm sure like, wait, what, Jesus? Like, you did it, you did it. Like, I I would have been like cheering, I, I think. Like, but there's something about this phrase here that they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. There was this doubt filled worship that several of them had. Like, they had seen it, but they probably just couldn't even believe their eyes. There was still probably this sense of like, did I really just see what I saw? 
is this really the thing that has just happened? And I think there's this powerful thing about doubt that we see listed out here with the disciples, that we have to be careful not to let our doubts define us and our faith because they don't disqualify you from following Jesus. Jesus, even here, is about to give them a command and a commission. Even after having gone through three years and the death and resurrection, still them filled with worship and doubt, that he still comes to them with love, and he doesn't see them as somebody to be disqualified because of that doubt. He still invites them into something greater and broader than what they realize they can do. He looks at them with doubt and he says this next statement in Matthew. He says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He challenges them to go make disciples and he makes it kind of emphatic. Like he says all, like every, like multiple times. It's like, I have all authority, not just a little bit of authority, all authority. Like he's just conquered death. Like I've never seen anybody do that. Like that is the most powerful, amazing thing possible by anybody. And they've seen it firsthand. Multiple people have witnessed it and then ends up, end up writing about it. Jesus has done that. And Jesus claims, I have all authority. And so with this authority, what, I want, what do I want you to do? Go and make disciples. Teach them what I have taught you, all these commands. This is what I want you to do. And I'm sure like they were thinking, wait, 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 this is way too big for us. We're 11 guys. You want us to go where? All the world? Well, I don't know about you, but for me, like going to Riverside for dinner, like sometimes feels like outside of my world. Like, I don't know if, I don't know about that. Like, like, do you ever notice that? Like when, when you're thinking about where to go to eat, like, you just go to, like, your 15-minute, like, sphere, right? Like, you know that there's these other places to go. Like, oh, I could go to Disneyland, or I could go to, like, the, like, to the beach or whatnot. But that takes a little extra effort, and, like, I'm not really sure. Like, like usually, like, when you're told to go do something, like, for, eat, for eating, it's like, I think of that, my, my inner circle. Like, I, okay, I'm, there's the In-N-Out, like, over there in Chick-fil-A, and then there's the other one in Nork over there. Like, that's my sphere. Like, In-N-Out and Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out and Chick-fil-A. Like, that's where I'll go. Like, if it's outside of that, I don't know. Like, it, I, it's got to be right there. But, like, like, that's what often, even though I've got, like, I can go further, like, I've got this thing called a car. I don't have to just bike there. Um, but, like, I think these disciples, like, I know the, the context. For them, like, the idea of even traveling to Jerusalem once a year or once in a lifetime might take, like, several days or a week or so to travel on foot to get there. Like, that's, like, you don't do that. Like, you just travel within your neighborhood, like, your town. Like, that's the most, like, you might go, maybe one town over. But like to go somewhere else, like into the all the world, wait, 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 the Roman world. And then they knew beyond the Roman world, there was all these other parts that weren't touched yet. You want us to go where? 11, like remember, he's just talking to 11 right here. See, I think he wasn't just talking to the 11. I think he was talking to us, all of us. Any, any of us that have called on God to say, God, you are my God. Jesus, I, I follow you. I say yes to you. I think he knew that there was this journey, this thing that was going to start right then in this moment that was going to outlast these 11 and was going to spread across the whole world. 
but it did have to start in their own heart to care about and try to do what they could for all the world because he was given all authority to do that. But they still had doubts. They still weren't sure. Right in the middle of this interaction, this emotional moment, they're given this huge task, this huge thing to go and be disciples and make disciples. But what does that look like? What does it look like to make a disciple, to be a disciple and go go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them? What does that look like? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I don't do that. I'm not qualified enough to do that even. Like, sometimes, like, I am challenged. Like, I'm a pastor. Like, I, I have been for many years now. Like, but I also, like, regularly realize sometimes I'm like, well, is my job to put on egg hunts? Is my job put, to put on events and fun, like, programs for kids? Like, that's fun and that's good and we teach something. But then I'm challenged, like, when I really think about it, like, is that what making a disciple looks like? Like, is it Adam or me or anybody that's up on the stage? Like, we teach is that what it is? Is, is that what we're, we are all supposed to do? I don't feel qualified to do that. Like, I, I don't have the, the knowledge or the skill or like, I, I can't put words together eloquently like Adam does. Like, I don't know if I can do that. What, what does making a disciple look like or being a disciple? Well, one of the 12, John, he said it this way. In First John 2, 6, he says this, those who say they live in God should live as Jesus lived. He summed up this idea of what it looks like to be a disciple as living like Jesus. In essence, to be somebody who follows Jesus, to be a disciple, is to live our lives as Jesus lived his life. The goal isn't to follow a religion. The goal isn't to do the right things or learn the right things necessarily. It is not a list of following this list of rules It's to live like he did. Christianity goes beyond believing what Jesus said to doing what Jesus did. You know, it's interesting, the language around make a disciple, in the Greek on the back end of it, um, the original, it really is interchangeable with being a disciple as making a disciple. It's the same word. It just is the context that it's put in in the rest of the sentence, the rest of the paragraph. The idea of being a disciple is the same cause and root of making disciples. So what do we do with that? Like, okay, if I'm supposed to live like Jesus, and Jesus regularly called other people to live life with him, this is what he did regularly, and he lived this life of love that was different than the rest of the world, and I'm called to do the same Let's, let's, let's develop that a little further. Well, Paul said this in Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He has this idea in his mind of what he does in his letters to churches of he is trying to live like Jesus. He's trying to imitate Jesus and do what Jesus did. And in the same way, at the same time, he's then calling others to live like him he would say, like, if you've seen anything good or perfect in me that it reflects God's love, like, then I want you to do the same thing. Like, I am trying to do this. Like, please do the same. Like, I'm trying to be a model and example to you so that you can then do it to others. There's this thing, I studied leadership for a while, and, like, there's this 
the whole field of uh, organizational psychology and sociology of uh, trying to study like good levels of, of how do you manage in, in business and how do you do stuff in leadership. And there's this higher level of effective leadership principles that there's four common traits uh, that make those things up. And one of them is very regularly, like I, I look at different like amazing leaders like Martin Luther King and, and others that speak very well. It's inspirational motivation. They're able to inspire and motivate people to live and do things differently or attach to a, a vision or they inspire people by what they say and, and they motivate people. It's amazing. But the other, an, a, one of the other components is this phrase, idealized influence. It's just the way that they are, their attitudes, their behaviors, like who they are just influences people around them because they strive to live like the ideal, they, they, their influence, the idealized influence, like they, the way that they are around other people shapes those people. There's something about a Christian life that I think is meant to be a personal relationship with God, that I, I spend time reading, I spend time praying to God alone, away from everybody else. But that's not it. There's also this idea of living alongside of other people that they get to see and experience who you are by living your life with them. That as you bring them along, like they get to see something in you that they're like, I wanna be a little bit like that. Like, how did you get to be like that? And then you have the opportunity to then share and teach. I, a little while ago, my uncle, Marissa's uncle, uh, lives in Anaheim Hills. He had a stroke um, and he needed some help around the house. And so my wife and I like help, uh, like I carved out some time and I took Levi with me. And we needed to swap out some stuff. And I, um, I then had the opportunity to actually teach Levi a little bit about light bulbs and lighting and electrical and some different things of how to be safe and whatnot. And it was cool to see him kind of like not just be the moody like preteen uh, that's coming out like right now, like, but to actually kind of like be interested and help and kind of like, oh, yeah, like, let me take that and do that. And like, it was just like this spark of joy and serving that, that like I, I love seeing. And I got to like, I got to teach him the things that I knew and I had been taught by my uncle and my my grandpa and my dad, and I was having this moment of trying to do that with him. And it, part of that was spurred on because at the beginning of this year, I tried to write down a couple of statements that would guide me this year of things that I was learning from the previous year of what I wasn't doing uh, as well or I wanted to do better. And I phrased this phrase called develop while doing. And for me, it just was this idea like I regularly do get caught up in just doing things all the time. Uh, projects and lessons and and games and and teaching or whatever it is, I do a lot to fill up my time. And there's just the whirlwind of life that that we're in. We have to do a lot. But I've recognized that if I'm only ever doing something, I'm not developing the people around me. I'm not developing my son. I'm not developing the leaders here at the church or whatever it is. Like then I'm only going to be able to do so much. And so I want to figure out how to develop while doing. That as I'm doing something, who could I bring along with me and share a little bit of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and how I do it? And maybe because I've learned some things about life and leadership and church and faith. And, and you know, I, I saw it actually at play the other week. We were getting ready for Easter and, you know, we have these new signs, um, these blue signs out front for first time guests. If you might, might see them, like maybe you parked in one of those um, this morning and welcome. Uh, you know, we wanted to kind of just have a fresh new look at some spaces that if you're here visiting, you're here for the first time, we wanted to say, hey, like, we've got a spot here ready for you. 
but like the old ones were like broken down and like rotted out. And so we removed them. Um, and I put a, re- a call out to a couple different guys to come help me. And one of them was Matt. Um, who, who came out and helped uh, me pour new concrete footings and, um, and, and put together a couple signs. But the cool thing was, is like Matt brought his kids. He brought two of his sons with him. And as we're like shoveling cement and mixing it, like he's explaining to them like how to do it and why it matters to do it the way it, it's done. And we got to get this level and do this. Like it was really neat to see him like take a little bit extra intentionality to develop his sons while he's doing something that made a difference. And like I see this at play often. Like have you, right? Like those moments where somebody did take a little bit extra time, like they weren't just getting the thing done, they were doing this other thing at the same time. And it was like bringing somebody along, sharing and teaching and mentoring. It's the idea of like taking on an apprentice over several years and teaching and shaping what you do and why you do it. And I think it's something that is lacking in our culture. It doesn't happen enough, especially when it comes to faith. When it comes to prayer or teaching or learning or reading the Bible, like those things that shape who we are and our our spiritual self, our soul, I don't think many of us have actually experienced somebody that took us up and said, hey, this is what this looks like. This is this thing, faith, and I'm going to put you on it. And we're, we're going to go on this thing. And I, I, we're gonna, we've got, you've got training wheels. Like, I'm going to teach and help and support you. But, like, this is what this looks like. And, and, and you might feel some wobbling here in life and these different things that happen where you might be tested and tempted. But, like, as you go, like, be careful. But I'm going to be right here. I'm going to be holding that bike. I'm going to be holding you and supporting you along the way. I'm going to be running alongside you in your faith journey. How many of us have ever had somebody that did that? for us in our lives? Or if I was to phrase it a different way, how many of you would want more? Somebody else that took a little bit more time, another person that really invested in you to care for you, to be there with you. I know most people don't have enough or the right kind of mentors. It wasn't handed to us very well. My dad and my mom did a lot for me, and I was raised in a church that had small groups and kids and student ministries that really shaped my trajectory. And I, I am so thankful for the men and women that poured into my life. I know that that made a huge difference. But I also know the short supply there is of those people or of those students or kids that are actually in consistent groups each and every week to be shaped like that. I also know the number of parents that feel well ill-equipped and under-resourced and don't have the capacity to handle the different things, especially in the culture that we're in, with social media and depression and anxiety and so many other things in this world that fight against the sense of of stability, a sense of confidence, a sense of I know who I am and I'm confident in that and I'm willing to go out into this world well-equipped and ready to take on this world. It's in short supply. But Jesus... He knew that. The disciples, they had seen Jesus perform miracles. They had lived with Jesus, the Jesus, for three years. They had seen him defeat death, and yet they doubted. Several of them in that group doubted and worshipped. But Jesus didn't count them disqualified because of their doubt. He still looked at them, and he challenged them and commissioned them with a task 
to go and make disciples. And I bet they didn't even realize what that would look like fully. I don't even know if they would picture us right here together, listening thousands of years later. The picture, like, we had 12, over 1,200 people at Easter last week. Like, it was amazing. Like, especially, like, so many things that have happened in the last, last season. Like, do you think that they pictured us? All over the world. That's amazing. But because of the faith of these 11 that chose to, to, to take the challenge that Jesus put in front of them, to take it up and try to figure it out, try to go like, I don't know what's in front of me, but I'm going to get on this thing and I'm going to try to figure this thing out. And why? How, 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 how did they have that, that courage to just even get up on that? What did that look like? Well, I think it's found, well, in verses like this in John 15, 12, John writes, to love as I have loved you. This is a command Jesus gives. It's like, pass on what has been given to you. Jesus showed love. He modeled it for others. The way in which he just was influenced those disciples. And he challenges the disciples. I want you to love as I have loved. You know, all those 600 rules of the religion of, of what you're supposed to do, like trash that. Like, it, like all of that stuff really, really falls underneath one command, love. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as yourself. It's about a love relationship. You've seen it in me. Now you put it into play with how you live. Love. Love others as I have loved you. You see, he has all this authority. He claims that at the beginning of this commission. He says, I have all, therefore, like, I, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. That middle section can be very daunting. It can feel very heavy. Like, I don't know if I'm equipped to do this. You want me to, to spend like years of my life to invest in somebody else? To, to care for, to teach, to love, to be patient when, when they keep on messing up? Like, you want me to do what you did for others? Yes, but why? Like, and, and look at the message. Look at the whole message that Jesus communicates here. What does he start it with? Who has the authority and how much authority? Him. He has all this power. What does he end it with? Be sure of this. I am with you always. He couches this command on either side with his power and his presence. Jesus leverages his power to give us purpose and promises his presence. Yes, there is a huge purpose that he bestows upon all of us to go and to make disciples and to teach and to share and to baptize and to, and to do things that we don't feel equipped to do and we don't feel ready to do. But for those of us that are willing to take that step and to say, I'm going to try to figure it out. And I'm going to have this attitude of like trusting that Jesus knows what he's doing because I don't, I don't, I, I feel like I'm wobbling. I, I feel like I'm doubting, but I do know that I've got a God that is powerful and I'm worshiping him. And, and, and in the middle of my worship filled doubt, I am willing to take this purpose and try to live it out. Why? Because I know that Jesus is with me as I am sitting on this bike of faith and discipleship being and making, he is holding that seat behind me stabilizing and helping. He'll let me wobble. Oh yeah. 
I might even fall down a, like a time or two and hit a cement trash can. <laughs> but then he picks me back up because he's right there with me. He promises this. I have lived enough years and gone through enough things in my life to know that and to see it. And nothing is going to shake me from that. I am bound to this. I am a slave to this. Like I can't help but live my life any other way. There is a God that is amazing and loved and did for me what I could not do for myself because I am imperfect. But he doesn't see my imperfect person as something that disqualifies me from a grand purpose because Jesus loves me and he loves you. And he leverages all of himself as God of this universe to not stay in heaven where it's peaceful and perfect. He entered into our humanity, became human, took all of that for granted, and ended up dying on a cross for us to make a way for us to have purpose. So that when you go into your job, when you go into your everyday, it is not just about trying to make a paycheck in order to pay those bills. It's not just about trying to get to the weekend so that you can hang and chill and like eventually maybe go to Disneyland once a, once a year or something like that. Like it's, life is not just about any of those things because if it was, life really would be meaningless. It's about so much, some, something so much more. God has given you a purpose in your everyday. And it is not just the pastor up here on stage. It is you being a disciple and making a disciple with what? What he has given you. You, your personality, your gifting, everything of who you are, God has a purpose. If you wake up this morning and you, you leave here and, and you, you just have a prayer attitude of, God, show me. Show me how I can be a disciple of yours, to follow you, to live like you. Who might I influence around me? Who, who could I bring into my life? Because I, get, I bet there's someone that is a little bit like you that needs to hear your story of how you came to know Jesus. How did you come to be a part of this church and this community? What, what has happened in your own heart that has allowed you to have a little bit more peace and wholeness? Just share that. Nothing more, but nothing less. And as you faithfully take a step into that discipleship-making process, you will discover a purpose far greater and grander than whatever it is that you might have thought your life was to be made up of. Because God stepped down out of heaven into this world and leveraged his power for you to give you purpose with where you're at, with what you are. He doesn't look at your imperfections as something to disqualify you. He wants you to leverage that, to point people to him. If anything, your imperfections are better. Because it, it's not about you. It's not about anything good and word, like words that are eloquent coming out of your mouth. I regularly mess up my words and stumble over my words. It is about pointing people to him and that he is good, that he is loving. Just do that. And God will transform the entire world for those that are willing. So who can you invite to follow you as you follow Jesus? Who is God calling you to share that, you know, do that little extra thing? Like you don't just go to coffee. You don't just work. There's something else at play. There's something else at work in the middle of that interaction where you might actually influence their eternity 
by the way in which you love like Jesus loves. The way in which you just encourage them and, and, and share what it is that you know. If you don't have the words, just be present. God loves you and he wants a better future for your life today. If you align yourself with him. So I wanna pray for us as we close that you would, even though feeling wobbly, even though feeling whatever it is in your life that you feel disqualified for, that you feel like there's doubt in your life, it's okay. I wanna invite you to give it to God and remind yourself of his power and remind yourself of his presence because he is there. He's with us now. And just maybe you'll end up riding into the sunset doing a wheelie or some sort of cool trick <laughs> of goodness in God's life, got in your life because of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. God, I thank you for the example and the model of Jesus that he influenced so many people just with the way in which he lived. God, I pray that we would take that and receive it that we would remind ourselves of your power and presence to see the purpose that you have for us. But God, we do doubt. And there are things that, that, that come up in our heart and our mind that keep us from experiencing that purpose. So God, may, may we allow that to be seen by someone. May, may we even maybe be an advocate to encourage each other to live a better story and not be held back by those things, but lean into that purpose, that great commission, and repeat that to be and make disciples. We thank you, God. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.